Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in on our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today we're once again stepping into our TNR 2.0 interview session. And in a few minutes, we're going to be welcoming Neil Woodson. So let's set the stage. Greg and I have been friends for a long time, and we have yet tonight to have a technical difficulty. We Not at all. And uh, for those that are listening, Greg uh, finally found out the passcode. So uh, we're hooked into the internet. I was out for lunch uh, uh, with someone who I didn't even know was one of our listeners. And uh, I sat down at lunch with a bunch of guys, and his first question was, Greg, did you figure out your passcode? So I knew, <laughs> I knew he had been listening. So uh, yes. And just I, for uh, clarification, this is the password to the Wi-Fi in his own house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. And, and you know, our setup tonight went really quick. We, it took us like maybe seven minutes to set up everything in Shea Greg, as we like to call it, yeah. but uh, our new home of uh, Talking Not Ranting, but uh, that's good. So let's move on. We've both been managers for a long time. We have both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. We've been hosting this podcast series dealing on how we and others have missed the mark called the struggle to be a good manager. As we work through this podcast, we realize there might be topics, struggles, or even experiences that aren't our own and that we should welcome others to the table at the diner. This is where we get a chance to learn and grow from others' experience in managing and being managers, great experiences which helped others to grow and maybe less great experiences which we also learned not to do. This is a chance where we get to talk to great folks about what they're doing to make society a better place. As with everything we do, we want to have a good, helpful conversation. And Greg, I think we're going to have a good conversation tonight again. I think so too. I can't wait to uh, catch up in more details with Neil and uh, dive deeper into both his experience. He's had different experiences again, different perspective, and also to talk about his book, which uh, I uh, finished reading uh, in December and I just loved it. It was great. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And it's funny, every time we interview somebody, I don't think we've ever interviewed somebody that we both know. Yes. No, I don't think so either. One person has always had you know, some past experience with them. So I just met Neil a little earlier. We had kind of a pre-production talk, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. So, Neil, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am good, Alistair. Thank you so much for having me tonight. And I, we just noticed uh, we're, we're uh, on Zoom. And Neil and I have almost the identical microphones. Greg is the one man out tonight. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, I went into a little uh, um, thought zone or a zoning out while the two, and I won't call you guys geeks or anything, but uh, uh, they, they were they were going on and on about their sure and what model do you have and everything. And I, uh, I drifted away and then I returned, but uh, I'm less excited about mics. Uh, I'm excited if they work. And, uh, and, uh, but I love also, this is the beauty of, uh, of just different people with different passions. And we always talk on our podcast is that Alistair is amazing with the technology and the, the producing and the editing and all that. I just show up and, uh, and, uh, even, even the writing. Um, uh, so, uh, it is great to have, uh, multiple skills being surrounded by multiple skills. So, but it was kind of fun to watch you two, uh, excitedly share about your mics and then Alistair did get a little jealous because Neil shared that his was provided by someone else so he didn't have to pay for it so Alistair had to buy for his so uh anyways but we won't talk anymore about this I just thought I'd point that out I just like the way that you've worked this out you said I just show up well our current 
edition of this, I show up at your place. That's right. I come downstairs <laughs> and I open the door. So, Neil, uh, I'm just going to introduce you to our, our audience and then we can jump in with the questions. So, Neil has worked in the restaurant, retail, and hospitality spaces in both line level, management, and executive roles. He has also taught at the high school and college levels, as well as leading corporate training and development. Throughout his career, he has repeatedly experienced the impact of good and bad management on employees and, by extension, customers. He has seen the trickle-down effect, both positive and negative, of good and bad behaviors and meaningful and not-so-meaningful priorities on teams, departments, and entire organizations. Given this, he has made it his personal mission to help make the employee and customer experience more humane by focusing his work on human-centered, service-focused business. He speaks, coaches, teaches, and has written a book, The Uncomplicated Coach, to help change the future of work because better work life means better customer life, which, because we are all employees and customers, means better life for everyone. Neil, welcome to Talking Not Ranting. Thank you, Alistair, and thank you, Greg. We're excited. Now, Neil and I uh, were introduced uh, by a mutual friend that's a fairly new friend, Steve Foran, and he does a lot of great work around gratitude. And I have to say, I'm, I'm grateful for this introduction because we have had a couple of fantastic conversations and we were, uh, we were laughing as if we'd known each other all our lives. And in fact, it's only been a few months. So uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you and uh, kind of tap into your experience. Um, you've had a great career. Uh, impacting a number of different industries, kind of like me in, into different industries, that's for sure, but have have really spent a lot of time in, in helping to create great spaces in organizations. And so what, as you know, Neil, what we ta love to talk about is, is really to get a, 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 some of the experiences that you've had that have positively led to you um, as a as a becoming the leader that you be, you become, and you know we always talk about there's some good stuff and sometimes there's not so good stuff. So we're going to start with the positives, and love you to talk about uh, over your career. Maybe what are the one or two experiences that you've had that really resonate as important lessons and that helped you to become the kind of leader that you wanted to become. Um, you know it's funny I I looked at this, you, you sent me some ideas about some of these questions earlier. And I looked at this and I thought I, I had a big laundry list of things. And, and um, but th there are kind of three or four that stood out to me um, in, in my experience. One, it's, you know, my mom and dad, um, my mom and dad were people of faith and they, they were devoutly religious people. And um, one of the things they made clear to me from childhood on was that people were the most important thing. We never talked about money at home. We never talked about stuff. You know, my parents never talked about, we've got to get a bigger car. We've got to have a better house. We've got to have, they didn't talk about that stuff. It was always, what can you do to be a better person? Hmm. It was, you know, don't lie, cheat and steal. Be polite, hmm. treat people with respect, particularly your elders. Hmm. You know, um, I grew up in a time and in a place where you said, Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, you, you never called an elder by their first name. You know, it, that's just the way I grew up. And uh, my dad, my dad had a really strong work ethic. He was one of those people that, you know, you go in early, you stay late. If you're working on something, you get it done and you get it done, you know, the best you can do. Um, and so that, that kind of rubbed off on me. 
um, to, to, to be that kind of person. And from there, I mean, I had a million experiences through high school and college. And then, uh, and I, when I started in the real work world, um, I actually worked in a, in a restaurant and I worked with this head waiter. Uh, his name was Patrick and Patrick really taught me a lot. I had never really thought about leadership, never really thought about being a manager, any of that kind of stuff. And um, without saying a word, really, Patrick just taught me by example. Um, he he was the kind of uh, waiter. He knew everything on the menu. He knew every ingredient. He knew how it was made. He knew how it was how it tasted. He could describe it like you were reading a Michelin guide. Um, he, he even, I, I worked in the bar. He knew how drinks were made. He knew what to recommend to, to, to guests that came into the restaurant. And on top of that, he was so helpful to everybody. He, anybody who was new, who worked in the restaurant, uh, and if he saw them getting into trouble, whether it was too many tables or they had too many people or whatever it was, he would dive in and help. He would, he would, you know, rush in to help somebody. If he had to run food for somebody, he would run their food. He would go out and take a table from somebody, but he would pay them the tips. Um, but he just did not want to see anybody fail. Mm -hmm. And so one night I uh, went to a ball game, uh, a bunch of us from the restaurant. It was a Monday night. We weren't open on Monday. We all went to a ball game. We went to see the Orioles play and I sat right next to Patrick and I finally, we talked and talked and I finally asked him, I said, Patrick, what is your driver? What's your thing? He said, you know what? I think we have the best staff. I think we've got the best food in town. I want us to be the best restaurant in town. And the only way we're going to do that is if I, I want to, I got to show what I've got to be the best I can be so that everybody else will be the best they can be. And from that moment on, I was just totally inspired. Totally. Mm -hmm. Just, it just hit me like a load of bricks. And it really made me think about, you know, in any role, any job you do, you've got to inspire people. You've got to roll up your sleeves and do, you know, everything you expect everybody else to do. And you've got to help others be successful as well. And that's true leadership. And then finally, I, I remember several years ago, I had a, a great boss. I hate to call him a boss, but uh, a great leader. Um, he was a vice president of training. I was working in a training department with him. And he told me, he said, you know, Neil, leadership is really about helping people to be better than they ever thought they could be. Mm -hmm. And I thought that really steps it up from just, it's not just about being as good as you can be. It's being better than you ever thought you could be. And again, I just found that super inspiring and something that I wanted to help others do. And that's how I kind of have molded a lot of what I do in training people and coaching people is to, you know, you can be better than you ever think than you think you can, you know, you have great value. And so those, those have been some experience that have really molded me and helped me move forward. I love those. And, and, uh, you know, what's really interesting is that not everybody is blessed with a, with a great starting experience with families. However, we have had folks that said, you know, some of my greatest lessons were around the dinner table or, or, you know, of, of, uh, in my younger years, what my, what my parents said or how they held me accountable or my sisters and brothers and that type of thing. And so some of us are really grateful. And I love that, Heart, I, 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 like you, Neil, was fortunate to have parents that, that, you know, had faith. And part of that faith was 
people are valuable and 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 they were love centric and they were focused on really that aspect of it and so i think that gift was beautiful and then the the head waiter that whole idea of um being your best wherever you are and helping to lift others to be their best in whatever they are i loved just the the knowing, you know, knowing what you do and being the best at understanding what you're doing and understanding what the customers want and being able to bring that forward and 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 not being me centric, being other centric going forward there and tapping into and supporting others is such a beautiful uh, experience to to have and that that vision. I mean, here's a guy who he wasn't the owner of the restaurant; he was the head waiter, but he had the opportunity in his circle of control to make a difference into what he does. And, you know, often we'll talk in this podcast about the ripple effect and the ripple effect is how you just impact others around you by who you are and how you're showing up and how you serve others. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Neil, I got to say, I love that story about working in the restaurant because it was obviously earlier in your life. And we, on this podcast, uh, it was episode number six. So folks, if you go back and listen to it, Greg and I weren't very good at doing what we do. It was early on, you know, technical stuff. But anyways, the name of the episode is Case Study 250 Hamburgers. And in that episode, we talk about the impact of a management situation on me as a 17-year-old. And it was the same thing. I, I took so much away from that early experience. And I think that's something that uh, as people that have influence over others, especially when the younger folks are around and maybe are in their first or second experience, you know, working, how important it is the way that we model what should be done. Because you're talking about that restaurant. I've talked about a restaurant and, you know, it was very impactful to me. And I, I just love that, that story that had happened early in your life and the effect that that uh, waiter uh, more experienced waiter had on you and the trajectory of your career. So I think that's just awesome. One of, one of the things that I found interesting is, and I've spent a lot of time in the hospitality, what the quote unquote hospitality world, working in hotels and working in a restaurant and, and is in those industries, um, people, there's a real sense of camaraderie and teamwork in every one that I worked in. I worked in a couple of restaurants, several hotels and, um, for all the people that say you can't have love at work is just nonsense. Um, in those places, people are, we treated each other like brothers and sisters and we fought together. We partied together. We did a lot of things together and we helped each other in a way that, you know, you, you find that in the military, in the military, they call each other brothers and sisters in the, in the first responders, you know, fire, uh, uh, firefighters, they call each other brothers and sisters. But yet when we get into the workplace, you know, turn off your emotions and don't be human. And that's just nonsense, you know? And, and that's something I really did learn from uh, working in hotels and restaurants is that, you know, that's the way work should be. That's the way our workplaces should be. So 
Yeah. And I would say that, you know, for me, I've also worked in, in, uh, hospitality and it can be that way. If the leader creates a space and holds the space for that to exist, I have been in others that have been total opposite and you see the difference. You feel the difference when the, you know, you have a leader that really does, isn't human centric, doesn't allow that space. I still remember as a kid going to Disney world. And I remember the, they would make these really cool little animals and leave really personal notes and that type of thing with regards to on the on the pillowcase and all that type of thing. And I've been to other, um, uh, I was in the hotel business for a while and, and the experiences that some of those folks that would clean the rooms would just make it special. Even the little notes they would write for the people in there that really were heart-based and focused, but they were always in environments where leaders like your last example, uh, leaders who hold space for not only people to discover their potential and release that potential, but also to feel free to be creative, to uh, really be focused on the customer. And, and those are really special environments. And I, I, I would agree 100% with you, Neil, that when, it, when the leader holds the space and, and leads by example, boy, amazing and beautiful things can happen. And when they show concern for those people. Um, mm. Great lessons that I've learned over the years were uh, that the the best leaders and the best people I ever worked with and worked, I hate to say worked for, but um, were ones that, you know, not only cared about the work we did, they cared about us as people. Mm. You know, they cared that, you know, your mom died. They cared that you had a problem with the kids this morning and, and they, and they had your back, you know, they, you know, I'm, I'm going to be late. You know, I had to drop my kid off at school and it's snowing and this, that, and the other. And, I'm really sorry. And they said, no worries. I've got your back, dude. Mm. You know, cause, and you know why? Because you do it for me. And that was the kind of, I, I was very, very, I've been very blessed over the years to work on a lot of teams like that, you know? Um, and I know a lot of people don't have that and that's, that's too bad. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but cause, and, and, uh, you know, cause it, it, the other thing we usually talk in this, in this podcast is we do first half on what does the manager do? And then maybe we can ask a little bit of question. Well, later on, maybe we're talking about your book. I think this is where it'll bubble up is even if you're not the manager as an employee, as a team member, what can you do within your space? And I do think, cause I have worked in organizations where upper, upper management was not that open and didn't create the space. And yet there were pockets in the organization that were really mm -hmm. led by individuals just choosing to, to your point, to create a loving environment, a caring environment, supportive, supportive environment. So we'll talk about that a little bit later of, you know, as a manager, what you can do, but also maybe we'll throw in, you know, as a, as a team member, even if you're not responsible for others, what's, what's the things that you can do? What are those ripple effects that you can create in the space that you're in? I think we should do that, Greg. It's our podcast. We can do what we well, want. Well, that's is great. Yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, over to you. Over to you, Alistair. So, Neil, uh, we've talked about a bunch of positive stuff, and uh, I guess it's my role tonight to uh, be party pooper. But um, were there some experiences that weren't as enabling that that helped mold your your attitudes and your ideas around leadership and managing people and how we just deal with each other? Yeah, I'll give you. I'm going to give you three three different things, and and two of them were pretty early. And then one was a little bit later. Um, and I, I, I'm just using these three. There have been many. Uh, the first one was kind of my first real job, quote unquote, real job. 
i.e. I got a paycheck that had taxes taken out and all that stuff. It wasn't just, you know, babysitting and here's money. You know, it was a real job where you got a paycheck, all that stuff. And I was actually working in a warehouse for my uncle. My uncle owned this warehouse and he agreed, you know, summer job, come in, you know, work for me, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I did. Well, what I found out was that my uncle changed completely in the workplace. He became old school, industrial age, uh, you know, work is work, keep your mouth shut, do your job, time is money, you know, <laughs> really, really hard-assed kind of cold environment. And um, not so much micromanagement as just, uh, you know, here's what we've got to get done today, just make sure it gets done today, you know, and that kind of attitude. And I guess the real lesson that I learned from that was that command and control is pretty devastating and demoralizing to team members. I mean, it, it for me, it made me just want to do the bare minimum. Hmm. Uh, just, just come in and I don't care. Just do the bare minimum. Just get it done. And, you know, it was very clear there was no room for ideas, no room for we could do this differently, we could do it better. None of that. It was this is the way it's done. End of story. Um, uh, my my second example is from a, yet another summer job is several years later. Um, and I actually worked in a cemetery and it, that, yes, that was very weird working in a cemetery. Um, there's probably about six of us on a team. We were all groundskeepers. We planted flowers, we mowed grass, we planted people, you know, it was all of that. And it was just a really strange kind of job. But what, one of the things that I noticed from that job was that the owners, the management of the place, they had this office, this building off in the distance, sat up on a hill, and I never, ever saw them, ever. The entire, I did it for two years, two summers, I never, ever saw these people. And it was very clear that the groundskeeping team was beneath them. Uh, we were treated like second-class citizens. We never got invited to the big building. We never got any of that stuff. And I guess the big lesson for me from that was, you know, everybody should matter in a workplace. It doesn't matter whether you're on the board or whether you're sweeping the floors. Everybody should matter. Because if if you don't need somebody, then why did you hire them, you know? And, and that really made a huge, I mean, I remember having a big kind of, I got really angry one night at dinner with my dad. We were talking about this. I said, why is it that these managers think that they're so much better than everybody else? And, you know, I was, I was just a teenager and he, you know, he had to say, well, you know, son, you don't really understand business and this, that, and the other. I was like, no, I do understand business. It's, it should be about people. Um, and then I'll, I'll say my final example came, I, I was briefly a high school teacher. I was a high school orchestra director for a while. I, my background is in music. I, I have a, a master's degree in music. And um, at one point in my career, I parlayed that into getting a job in a performing arts high school. And uh, the principal there was very, very much about herself. And she had a, a very big political agenda. She wanted to move up in the world. She was all about climbing that ladder. 
And to do that, she would side with parents, administration, students, but she very rarely would support her teachers. It, it was it was you know, because the parents and administration and those people could help her in her own agenda. They could move her. And she she kind of, you know, she would pay lip service to the teachers. We would have these meetings. She'd say, I know I'm all about the teachers and this is all about you and rah, rah, rah. But when it came down to it, it wasn't that way at all. And so it, it, what it set up was there was a whole big group of teachers that would uh, schmooze up to her. And then there was a whole group of teachers that kind of hid away in the darkness and did their jobs and didn't make any trouble, but they just wanted to keep their jobs. And um, I, I guess I had a lesson from that as well is that it should never be about the leader. It should always be about the people. It should be about the people they lead. It should be about supporting their team members to do their best. And that was just not true in this instance. And it eventually it caused me to want to leave. And, and I did, I left that, that environment. Just, I, didn't want to be in that environment. So when you were talking about the cemetery, I kind of went back to medieval uh, history. I went, that sounds so futile, right? You know, up on the hill and the workers are toiling away in the fields and stuff like that. Um, I, I love the, the differences between, you know, the positive experiences and the negative experiences. Always, of course, uh, embracing that there's learning to be done in, in both sides of that. But how has how has your journey affected you in terms of your leadership development and and being a manager and leading people or leading efforts? How how have those two things, those two sides of your experience, helped you? I mean, I kind of have a weird trajectory. I started when I started. I, I would call the formal part of my career. I, I began working for um, an audio audio visual company, um, and we worked in the hotel environment. And what we did was uh, you go to a convention or a meeting and there's all this AV gear and it's all set up with screens and projectors and lights and all that stuff. And that's what we did. And uh, I still work kind of tangentially in that in industry. Um, so I worked in hotels that way. And my initial position was one where I led a team in a hotel doing that work. Um, I eventually moved into being a, a regional type of manager where I had multiple teams in various venues all over the, all over the place. And then I moved, finally, I moved into the training department because they realized that you've taught in the school and you'd be, you should teach in the training department. <laughs> so I began to work in the training department and my main role was, they said, we need someone to build a leadership training program. We think you'd be great at that. Not sure exactly why that came up that way, but regardless, I was asked to build a leadership training program. And so I drew upon these bad experiences and good experiences and tried to figure it out. What, what, what is it that makes leadership work? Well, of course, first thing was it's about people. And uh, I started looking at, you know, most people think leadership and management are the same thing and they are not at all the same thing. Management is about stuff. Management, about, management is about things. Management is about things you can control, i.e. manage, right? You can't control or manage people. If you don't believe me, go have a child. That's the, <laughs> that's the easiest way to find out that you cannot control and manage people. Um, and uh, I, I say that all the time. I teach a class and we talk about leadership and management and people look at me and I say, look, go have a kid. You want to find out you can't control people? There you go. You can only lead people. 
And that's a, that's a big, a lot of light bulbs go on when people realize that. And the reason you can't control people is because people have the power of choice. They can make decisions, you know? And you, even if you have a dog, you realize you can train and train and train and train a dog, but at some point they go do something you might not want them to do. And you have to come back here. Don't do that. You know, and humans are even worse. You know, we, you can train and train and train, but the best thing you can do is influence and you influence them by your example, you know, the, and, and the words you say and the things you do give people a license to do or not do a whole variety of things. And that's the best tool you have. So that is one of the biggest things that I've tried to get across to people over and over and over is you need to lead people and stop trying to manage them. And the way to do that is you have to live up to a very, very high standard. You have to be a, a big, a, an example. Um, and so, you know, and that parlayed itself into a model. And, and I get into this in my book where I talk about, you know, three, there's kind of three styles of leadership. And one has to do with direction. One has to do with collaboration and one has to do with support. And you need to use all three in the right situation. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. Most people live in one or the other. They'll live in the world of direction. You know, I just tell people what to do and they go do it. Well, that's great, but all you're doing there is creating sheep. And so and, and we need people to be more than sheep. We need people to be uh, innovative, creative, uh, and be able to make decisions on their own. But a lot of managers uh, don't know how to do that. They don't know how to make that happen. And, you know, there's a variety of tools, but probably the biggest one is that you, you need to learn to coach people. And then you need to learn to support them. Once they start getting results, you need to be supportive and, and sing their praises. You need to be their biggest cheerleader at that point. Uh, and that moves people on. But the great thing is if you move through these different styles and use them the right way, you create a group of people who will kill and die for you. They will lay down for you and they will lay down and, and do whatever needs to be done. You know, they'll go that extra degree. They'll, they'll, they'll stay late. They'll do all those things that we want people to do and we'd love people to do. And they'll do it without a lot of pushing and shoving, you know, so you can create that with the right kind of leadership and using those tools the right way. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and I'm glad you brought your book. Cause I, uh, I love the book. Uh, as you know, I read it quite quickly. Um, and it, it, it provides, it starts with stories and, uh, I was I was laughing when I was talking to Neil as I as I was reading the story. It was like I was almost there. Now maybe I was being transported back to my days in early retail. It wasn't in the same type of store, but I did work in in early retail, and uh, the story is just uh, um, uh, powerful in 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 that it in itself it shows learning. And and what I loved about the story is that the 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 main character who is a uh, a manager and I I won't give it all away but you can maybe probe a little bit deeper but main character was struggling and he just you know I think he had a good heart but he just didn't know a way forward of how he could create this space and he noticed someone that that had the had something different and you know so learning from example and he tried and failed and 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 grew and learned and and I, you know I I think that's also part of this all this journey is 
trying something, learning something. And uh, um, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing here, but I'd love to just probe a little bit in the book. And maybe, maybe uh, one, what was your intention of creating the book? And, and what, what are the biggest, you've already shared a couple of them, but what are the biggest takeaways that, that you got from your, 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 uh, your journey that you've incorporated into your, into your book? Um, yeah, I, the book's called The Uncomplicated Coach, and, and, the, and it came, really, the genesis of it was, um, I wanted to write a book, and I didn't know what, really what I wanted to write a book about, because people had told me, you, have, you, you teach these classes, and you do these things, and, and you should write a book about that, and I, so many different kinds of things, I just didn't have a focus, and I was at a meeting at a conference, and I was talking about, um, uh, I, I'd been working, building a coaching network of people in a company that I was working for at the time. And um, I did a presentation about that. And after the meeting, one of the guys who ran the meeting came up to me and called me coach. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, maybe that's what I should write a book about, write a book about coaching, coaching in the workplace. And um, the more I started to read and study and, and look at the, the coaching universe, uh, I realized that it was really had gotten complicated. Mm -hmm. um, and I am one of those people that I just do. I don't like complication. I like to let's trim this down. Let's distill it to nuggets that people can take away and use. And um, so I decided, what would an uncomplicated coach look like? What would that be? And one of my favorite authors is uh, Patrick Lencioni, who wrote the five functions of a team and, um, He's written just a whole bunch of different books. And he used all of his books usually are a parable, a real life parable. They don't have like weasels and frogs that do things and stuff. They have <laughs> real people, you know, real people in real business situations doing things. And they're they're usually fun. And I I read them a lot on a plane. You'll read them on a plane and you get off. And it's like it's like you've read a, a good fiction story, but it has a lesson, a real, real life lesson. And I thought, I wonder if I could do that too. And so I, I decided to write this parable at the beginning, and then the second half of the book would be more like the textbook. It would be more of the, okay, here are the nuts and bolts. Here's, here's uh, more of the science behind all of that stuff that I just you just got in the story. Plus, I knew that there are some people that like a story and don't like all the nuts and bolts and vice versa. Yeah, so I, I felt like it gave people kind of both. You know, if you, if you don't want to read the story, you don't have to You can read the second half of the book um, or vice versa. So, um, so it, it really was a way for me to say, okay, what's a really easy way for a busy manager to be able to coach their team members and draw out the best in their team members without having to take a psychology class and without having to go to a training session and all of that. And so um, that was really the, that, that's what's behind that. I, I love that. And I do think that your book, I'm, I'm probably the, the first half. Uh, I love the first half. The second half was really good as well with the nuts and bolts because it reinforced the first half. But I, 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 will, uh, I will be on the first half. I just got lost in the story. And I, and I love the way in which, again, as I described earlier, and I think the best leaders, it's it's not a, a magic wand thing. You don't just, uh, I don't touch you with a magic wand. It's not a Harry Potter episode where I go, become a coach, push, you're now a coach. What in your book, it's the little nuggets. I'm going to try this. Oh, hey, that worked. 
Okay, now I'm going to try something else. Oh, that worked. And I'm building upon it and strengthening about it. So that's what I loved about the story. And I, I was also chuckling to myself because Alistair got really excited about the nuts and bolts. No, no, I'm a story guy. Oh. This whole podcast is a story. I, like, I, I love it that I, we've said this a couple of times in different podcasts and stuff like that. But I remember, especially during my police training, you know, you get hit with a day and a half of theory and law, and then a bunch of people come in and tell a whole bunch of stories. And it wasn't until I heard the stories that I really understood what they were talking about and the, the themes and all these things. So I love what you've done. I mean, put the story up front and you've got me, right? Uh, uh, the nuts and bolts are fine, but I, I think that's what's missing a lot in our society is that storytelling, right? That passing down of, of, of knowledge and experience from, you know, from generations, but also just from different generations of people within a company. I, I love storytelling. I, I think it's such a uh, a gift that we don't see that often. And it's certainly what we do on this podcast. We, basically, we can't shut up. So it's good. It's good. That's great. So maybe just to, uh, before we go to a conclusion and closing, and maybe I'd love to just see, what are you doing now, Neil? I mean, you've, you're now uh, consulting, as you say, you're still working in the, in the, in someone in, in the business. And we had a conversation the other day is like, how do we, how do we find um, uh, the different work that we do, the projects that we work on? And uh, you were sharing that, you know what? By by doing good work, it's almost coming full circle back to our original conversation. Do good work, and people people come alongside. They want to learn. They want to grow. But maybe tell us a little bit about what you're up to, and the kinds of things that you're you're uh, you're interesting, and in, where you can help other organizations in their journeys. Well, I kind of have a multifaceted life. Um, I was blessed uh, over the pandemic to be called by. Uh, several friends who'd had different businesses to help them do some things. And, and um, one group of young people, they, they got, it was a kind of a band of people who had formed a company and they called me and said, would I be willing to help them do some training? And so now I've been deemed the chief professional development officer for the company. Um, it's a very small company. It's only about 20, 25 people. Um, and again, it's part of, it's in that audio visual event space, um, but I'm building training for them. Um, and, and doing a lot of work in that arena for that company. Um, but I've got some other, other irons in the fire with some people doing, uh, training, some coaching, a little bit of consulting, um, mostly around leadership and service topics, um, how, how people can provide better service. Um, and, and by the way, I don't just, when I say service, I don't just mean customer service. I mean, service period. Mm. Um, customer service is a, small little piece of what service really means. I mean, we all serve every day. If you get up in the morning, you make coffee for your spouse, you're doing, you know, that's service. If you drop the kids off at school, that's service. We do it all the time, every day. Um, and we don't even realize it. And, and my feeling is that if we did it more, um, particularly in our workplaces and really paid attention to it as service, then the service for your customers would be better. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really do a lot of work with, you know, where does leadership, where does leadership and service intersect and how, to, how does, how can people who are in service roles, um, how, how can leadership be a better part of what they do, but then how can service be a better part of what leaders do? So um, I, I do a lot of work around that, that, that kind of stuff. Neil, that's great. We'll move into kind of final thoughts. So we'll let you go first. So do you have any thoughts about what we've talked about or, or maybe some things that we haven't talked about yet that you think would be helpful to uh, both Greg and myself and the listeners? And then we'll each take a turn as well. Um, I, I think one of the the things that people really need to start looking at um, 
particularly in their workplaces. And, and then I think from there, it infects everything else in your life because we spend so much time at work. Um, and that is to really reanalyze what your work is about. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about spreadsheets and numbers and hitting numbers and, and all of that kind of stuff. And, and what we fail to recognize, and I think we need to do it on a you know, every day, every hour basis is that what we do it for is people. Uh, we do that for humans. Um, and I, I say this all the time, you know, it's, I find it really funny that most people that are business leaders have no idea what the real purpose of business is. If you ask them, they will nine out of 10 will say, Oh, we were here to make money. And I'm like, no, I mean, that's like saying you're, you live your life to breathe and you don't. Breathing is is something you need to do to stay alive, but you don't live your life to amass as much air as you can, you know, and in and, and our workplaces, your business is the purpose of business is not to make money. The purpose of business is to help people. And that's true for every business. You cannot name a business that is not in, it, functionally there to help people do something, whether it's something they don't know how to do something they don't want to do, or it's to get access to something that they don't have access to. Every business does that. And if businesses would come to terms with that and make that their priority, it would change everything. And, and they would be more successful. I truly believe. Um, so yeah, I guess my, my, my thing is if for listeners, for, for you would be to really reassess your why, you know, is it really focused on the human element? Because without that, uh, we're all going to perish. And and I know that sounds extreme, but um, we really do need to help each other and we need to be working together and we need to be um, focused on that instead of, you know, I've just got to make as much money as I can. And so I guess that would be my, my big watchword. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's so many great nuggets in this conversation. And I was, I was moving towards a similar summary around the, the aspect of people at the core. Uh, and, and I, I think that when we have that mindset that you just shared, Neil, um, and when we're focused on becoming more present and creating the space that we're in, great things can happen. I think all of us have talked, even in this podcast, of examples of bad situations where folks were not people-focused, and they weren't other-focused, and they weren't focused on creating a space where people can thrive. And, you know, it's it's like this, uh, you know, if you look at, look at atoms, when they hit together and they move forward together, when energy starts going in the positive direction, if if each of us is showing up to try and do our best, we lift each other up collectively. And I'm with you 100%. And, and there's tons of evidence these days that shows that leaders that are creating that kind of a space that are people-centric, that are really about helping to lift, discover, lift, and release the potential of individuals towards something more meaningful, the profits come, the success comes. It's the output of uh, the intention that's come and then they've reinvest back in there. So I just, uh, I, uh, and I love the fact that, uh, we all have these special moments that of folks that have created those spaces that allow us to, 
to do that ourselves. And we all have the opportunity. It's a, you mentioned something about humans. Uh, we all have choice and each of us has a choice to be, um, the kind of person we want to be, to be people focused, to move forward. Uh, so don't wait. If you're in an environment that, that, that doesn't exist, um, start where you are. Uh, it begins with you and those around you and you can create that space. Neil, I love the, uh, a couple of things that you said uh, near the end of your closing there about, you know, money or numbers, uh, perceived wins. Uh, and I've worked in places where that's been the emphasis. And I've worked in other places where there is just this wonderful spirit in the group of people. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you looked uh, at, you know, how much work was being done? A lot. But when you have that open, supportive uh, you, a lot of creativity comes out. A lot of pe people work together much better. They don't shut down and just do the bare minimum. And I love uh, those comments you said near the end there. You know, you use the term money, but I also, you know, put in the term uh, numbers and things like that. And I know the places that I like to work. I know what's been successful. And it's amazing when you have a good crew of people working together that understand what they're there to do are there to support one another. And, you know, if you're having a bad day or you're running late or whatever it is that, you know, people look after you, it's amazing what can be uh, attained and what can be, what can be done. And I, I just think this whole talk has been great. And I love that you put the storytelling at the beginning of the book, because I'm all about the stories. And I think most people like to hear stories because that's how we actually transmit our experience, our thoughts and stuff like that. And, uh, listen, before we say goodbye to you, um, if you could send me an email with a link to your book, to any websites or how people can get in touch with you, uh, we'll put that in the show notes and, and then people can uh, order your book by the hundreds. Not that we're worried about, <laughs> not that we're worried about numbers right now, Neil, we're worried about people, you know, listening to stories and stuff like that. But if you could do that after we're done here today and we'll put it in the show, show notes and our listeners can contact you or order the book or whatever. Uh, this was really, really great, Neil. Uh, I feel a little... I feel like I should have known you before as well. I feel a little left out. I got to tell you, but it's been really good to uh, talk to you. You know, we always do a little bit of a pre-production little chat and it's just been great to to get to know you and have this conversation with you. And we really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast with us today, Greg. Yeah, no, it's been great. Uh, you know, and every time we connect, uh, I learn something new. Uh, you have a, uh, a new insight that bubbles up in me. And I think this is our whole intention by having this conversation is to bring great people together who are on a journey to uh, create a better place, like you've said. And, and I so appreciate it. There's two or three things that I was, uh, I have in my head. I'm not writing them down because that will make noise on the mic. And uh, thank you for your contribution, your passion and your, uh, your, your um, dedication to creating a better space uh, and helping others and uh, release their potential. I think it's off awesome. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, we're just going to go into a closing routine here. So um, listen, uh, folks, we hope that some of what we've spoken about you find helpful. We hope you didn't find anything we said uh, uh, offensive or made you angry in anywhere, but Greg, we're going to need to hear your philosophy again, because not everybody's going to like what we said, although I, I would hope that they would, but uh, definitely we should hear your philosophy. Well, well it really, really, you know, I, I, at the end of each podcast, we talk about a great insight that I was given from my first coach. And she said, you know, our time together, there's going to be some things that we 
talk about that you're going to get excited, you're going to be happy, you're going to have joy, you know, something that you may be making traction or, or really recognizing some strength in yourself. But there's also going to be times when you're going to feel a little crunchy, maybe a little peeve, a little angry. And uh, um, those are normally times when you maybe have not done as well as you could, or there's a slip up, or you're, or you're maybe even annoyed at something that the person has said. And uh, But what we usually say in the podcast always is that both provide beautiful learnings and insights. And even on the examples that we gave of the good and the bad, you could see Neil's conversation around the big ahas that got out of the, the bad and out of the good. So we hope that you will have that here as well. So whatever you're feeling, reflect and uh, is there, just think about what, what can you learn from it and then what can you apply to continue to grow as a human and as a leader. And I'm always going to ask the question, who are you talking to? If uh, this stirs up some thoughts, you know, maybe you're a little ticked off with yourself or whatever, who are you talking to about it? Like Greg and I have had uh, two and a half years of discussions about stuff and, and it's awesome. And, and, you know, if you sit there just inside your own head, sometimes talking to somebody else and, and, and bouncing things off them and maybe listening to what they have to say, it's a really, really healthy thing. Yeah. So, uh, shout out, Greg. Shout out. So this is, uh, I think cottage country day. Aha. Uh -huh. So the two places that, uh, I know that kind of jumped out in the stats are, roughly two hours from Toronto in what I would call cottage country. So the first one, I don't really know where these places are. One is Markdale, Ontario. Markdale. Yes. I know where that is. And the other one is Buckhorn. Buckhorn. Well, that last one does seem like a, uh, a cottage country for sure, but uh, many people are working remotely these days. So welcome Buckhorn and Markland. Uh, that's awesome. Welcome uh, to the show. You know, sometimes we, we emphasize the, you know, kind of the international uh, uh, side of uh, people listening to us, but it's nice to have the, you know, kind of at-home folks as well listening to what we're mm -hmm. talking about and hopefully starting conversations of their own. I agree. So folks, remember, people matter. Take the time with the people you work with. They are an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.